0: Hello, my name is Patricia, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 15 of the third series of the Haiku P podcast. I've called the episode Chocolate Box, because to me, and I hope it will be to you, it's like being faced with a wonderful box of chocolates, and not knowing quite where to start, because they're all so fantastic. First up, some big news. The second Poetry P journal of Haiku and Senryu, the summer 2020 edition, is now out. And this time, I've done a Kindle version. I know many people weren't able to access the print version because of Covid. And I'm hoping this will help. Recently, as I may have mentioned once or twice, I did a presentation at the Haiku Society of America. And in doing so, I was reviewing all of the podcasts that we've done together. And you know what? I was amazed at our body of work. It was also super to see the improvements in our work. Actually, it was quite a humbling experience and I want to thank you for being with me on the podcast. Before I continue, I just want to give you a quick reminder that I'm now accepting submissions on the topic of loss. Something my guest editors noticed over the last couple of months is that you don't actually need to use the topic word in the verse. They've said to me that often using it means you're telling the story of the verse rather than showing it. And Michael Baribo sent me a terrific quote which illustrates what I'm trying to say very well. He paraphrased Basho. A haiku is like a finger pointing to the moon. If the finger is bejeweled, we no longer see the moon. Thanks for that, Michael. Now this week I had planned to do a feedback episode following on from our discussions of the essence of haiku and brevity and editing but then I had an opportunity to have a chat with Ben Gar you might know him also as Ben Mulligar. our chat was on the topic of his writing process and editing so I'll come back to the feedback episode next time because I promise you there's a lot to talk about Thank you all for coming back to me with your ideas and thoughts. And if you haven't done so already, you have another month. So the first of our chocolates, from my perspective, a coffee cream, is a chat with Ben. Our second selection, dark chocolate with an orange cream filling, is a reading of the latest Renku, at least as far as we've got with it. And our third selection A Chocolate Truffle, is a reading by Roger Watson of some of his work. Now if you don't know Ben, let me tell you a little bit about him. Ben Gar is from St. Louis, Missouri. He's a Pushcart nominee and the author of the 2018 Touchstone Award winning Wishbones. He has a new book, One Breath, which is a full-length collection of haiku and senryu and is available from Spartan Press. At an online bookseller near you. He is also the author of three chapbooks Fiddle in the Floorboards, Blowing on a Hot Soup Spoon, and the pushcart nominated Wasp Shadows. If you haven't read his books, I'm sure you've read his work in one of the many journals in which he's been featured. And I recently saw his talk at the Haiku Society of America's conference which is now on their channel on YouTube. I was delighted that Ben could give me some time to have a little chat, and you're about to hear the results. If you'd like to see the chat, I'll put it on YouTube as a little bonus episode. Ben, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, I saw your presentation at the Haiku Society of America Zoom contest, Zoom conference. I was really excited by it because it filled uh, some of the gaps that I was working on on the podcast already. And I thought, I must get in touch and ask you to come, come on the podcast and talk about it. Because I know so many people write to me anyway, uh, about the editing process. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go into that in more detail soon. And, I, and this just fits so nicely into that. But before we get into the edi- editing process, I know you have your own way of setting up the writing process. So perhaps you could start by telling us a little bit about that.
1: Certainly, and thank you, it's an honor to be here and to to chat with you and and all of your listeners. So hello out there, uh, wherever you are in the world. Yeah, the the writing process, it is something that I I have, I do set dedicated time aside to specifically work on work. Uh, I know there's sort of this idea that poets and writers and painters only work when they get inspired, but if you have a, an ambitious submission schedule that requires you to have a lot of work, you can't wait for inspiration. You have to go and try to, to dig it out yourself. And so I have, I guess they're sort of like workman schedules. So I'll, I'll go to a place uh, specifically the one uh, that I'll go through with the editing process for uh, here in a bit. Uh, I go to a park near my house, but uh, in non-pandemic times, it could be a pub, it could be a cafe, it could be any other place that allows you to kind of sit and observe the the world around you, Uh, because for me, when I go to a writing session, I never know what I'm gonna write about. It all comes about what happens in the moments while I'm there, uh, which is key to haiku, in the moment they happen. And so I, I will always have my haiku sketchbook, I'll sit in a place that gives me good visibility of Uh, Wherever I am so I can see people I can hear all the noises and and birds and whatever's happening around me and, and be in the environment But yet still set aside a little bit so I can see and observe things and I'll have my haiku sketchbook Which is a journal that's dedicated just to writing. I write everything by longhand And then I have books that I carry with me I have to read and that's the thing that triggers me to get into the flow and triggers my inspiration so uh, I'll mention five books, anthologies that, that I read every year, sometimes more than once a year, um, and, I, and, and they are uh, the Haiku Anthology, uh, specifically the third edition by Corvin and Huvel, although uh, Lee Gerga recommended I check out the second edition, and it's brilliant as well if you can find it. Okay. Um, it's out of print, but you can find it on eBay or some places. Uh, another one is Haiku Moments, an anthology of contemporary North American haiku by, uh, edited by Bruce Roth. Um, Haiku, Ancient and Modern, edited by Jackie Hardy. That's one of, it's just a beautiful book. It's a small square and it's just, it's really nice because it has contemporary poets as well as going back to the masters. So you'll have uh, Basho rubbing up against Anita Virgil, for example, and it's really nice to see that there's a continuity between poets writing in this form for generations. The Nan Anand, I think I have that pronounced right, comes out of India, mainly edited, uh, head editor is Kala Ramesh. Uh, and then Where the River Goes, The Nature Tradition in English Language Haiku, edited by Alan Burns, which is okay. nice.
0: What I don't see on there is the, um, was it Haiku in English, The First Hundred Years?
1: Yep, I have a copy of that, but it's not one that I reread very often. No? Um, it's, it's, the reason being for me is that it's, um, it's because it's, it's, a chronolo- it's a good sort of text to have if you study mm-hmm. haiku, um, and, and it's sort of essential for that. But it's not, it's not a living, working anthology for me. It's more kind of a historical record of going through who, who, who did what first. And there is a debate on, on the approach of that anthology uh, because that goes through and, and shows kind of the development of English language haiku, which is great. Uh, especially, it's interesting to see who some of the early poets were that didn't necessarily realize they were dabbling <laughs> in it, but but traditionally kind of do. Um, but the, the when you get to the later period, you see a lot of things, the first time people did certain things, which is really cool from a historical perspective, but it might not be the best example of what they did. And so, in, in a sense, the book does show you historically but it doesn't necessarily give you the best version of what English language haiku has to offer so.
0: Oh interesting okay fair enough and where the river goes Mm -hmm. not been able to get a copy of that one I think it's out of print on Amazon but I found uh, and I'll put it in the show notes along with other bits and pieces from today's talk but I found it on Snapshot Press Mm-hmm. So now I know where I can get a hold, of, a hold of it.
1: Yeah, it was coming up for me, at least in the States on, on, on Amazon, which is why I included it on, in this yeah. list here. I tried to give things that, that people could buy. Um, I, I don't know how Amazon works worldwide, but a lot of, in the States anyway, If there is, they, they work with a lot of independent booksellers. Uh-huh. So it's possible that you can find a used copy and still order it through Amazon.
0: Okay.
1: So, but I, I don't know how that works around the world. I do think it is harder to find. I don't know if it's still technically in print, but because I think that the copy, now that I think about it, actually I got it from, from another poet somehow. <laughs> okay. But I did find it on Amazon, that's why I included it on the list, because there's, there's about a, a half dozen or a, close to a dozen more books that I reread every year that I didn't include here because they don't show up. Okay. Things that are easy to find.
0: I think you've just given me another idea. Maybe we should have a, a poet's book exchange within the mm. podcast too you know not, yeah. not not a bad idea thank you very much for that one You're welcome. <laughs> the other one that, i mean i don't know the jackie hardy one at all mm. mm-hmm. uh, i had a quick look look at that one on amazon um and it's now on my wish list so i'll go back and buy it but i just wondered is that does that look at north american poets as well as uh you know going back to the basho and e- isa and so on is it primarily north american poets when it gets to contemporary work
1: you know, that's a good question. I don't know exactly. It doesn't specifically state that it's mm. North American poets. Yeah, uh, they are. In, it's all in English. Yes. But, <laughs> but I don't know uh, the origins because it, it doesn't list the origin of the poet as well. It just says the poet and their name. So I, I don't know. Okay. I, I do know it's, it's a beautiful book that has a, it's, it's one of the few books that I will not write in. <laughs>
0: That's, I was very interested because in your presentation uh, for, the, for the Haiku Society of America, mm-hmm. I noticed that you, you wrote in all your books and I'm looking at you going, oh no, don't do that. Oh <laughs> man, I,
1: no, I, 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 I can appreciate that, the, the one to have like the, the nice, crisp, clean book. But man, as an English major going through college, it's, it's, okay. it was the essential. And I look at these as tools. I don't look at them as precious objects that can't be dirty. So just like just like uh, my grandpa who did a lot of woodworking, or or you know he had these old tools that were kind of beat up, um, yeah. these books are my tools. You know, they I, I learn from them. I use them uh, to help write. So when I sit down in my writing session, I start reading right away. That's how I start anything, and I read, and it does a couple things for me. It allows me to forget about everything else that's going on in my life, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, kind of tunes things out, almost like a mantra or a chant, um, and then. I'm focused and engaged in the form that I'm wanting to write in. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading the best examples of the work that, that other peer reviewed editors have put together in beautiful anthologies or, or it could be a a print journal or, or an actual full length collection of of somebody. And um, that starts to quiet me down and I get in the, try to get into the zone of writing. And then before long I, something has caught my attention and I find myself putting that book down and picking up my haiku sketchbook and I start writing.
0: Would this be a good time to to say to you go for it? Tell us a bit about about that. So what we have here
1: is uh, a a poem called Church Bells and it's a haiku edit history and I wrote this it's going to go through 11 drafts and this is the date that I wrote it and in my haiku sketchbook whenever I sit down for a session I will put the date the time and the location of where I am I just find it's kind of a fun little quirk for myself. If, I'm, if I can go back and look at my sketchbook, I can see where the common places I like to write. Um, and it also helps me when I'm going to compile my month's work, I can start at a specific date and then move forward. So this is the, the date, time and location. Um, and Sunday is kind of a key, key component of this because this poem is about church bells. And as I was out in the park, and settling in and reading and reading and reading. The church bells started going off in the area because there are some churches around. And the thing that piqued my interest is that they weren't there and then I heard them and then they went away. And I was like, there's a moment here. So I, I wrote down this, this first draft, birdsong, church bells, bird song. And this is a, a structure of a poem that I've used before uh, I like to reuse structures, especially if I find something that works. And in this case, you you have uh, something that's there being interrupted, and then it goes back to what was there before. I, I use this this technique probably most successfully in a poem of mine in my book Wishbones, uh, which goes: cicadas, tornado sirens, cicadas. And the reason why it works really well there is because when cicadas are out. And they are in full force. You can't hear anything there. It's a constant sound. And the the tornado sirens really are loud and interrupted and kind of have an interesting cadence, kind of like cicadas. And then it goes back to the cicadas. In this case, again, it's sort of that interruption of of a a song, of a sound. But what, what caused me to move beyond to the next draft is that bird song is not a constant sound, it is intermittent. So to have an intermittent sound interrupted by something else that's also intermittent, going back to something intermittent, didn't quite work. Even though it's, it's not a bad poem, it's just it wasn't quite consistent enough for me to say that's, that's the moment. So I went on to, to try a different approach. In the second draft, uh, it goes like this, the strike and the resonance of church bells. And so I really started to think about what was it about the church bells that was interesting. And I I noticed that there's really, there's kind of two parts to the sound. There's the initial hitting of the bell that you hear, you hear that strike, and then you hear the, the sound coming out of the bell that then eventually goes back to silence. And so I was kind of interested in that, played with it here, but it still didn't quite capture the moment. So I went on to this next draft. I introduced morning breeze, the lingering tones of church bells. So because it was morning and there was a breeze, morning breeze became the first line, nothing very nice and pleasant. And then thinking about the lingering tones, it was after the strike, it's the sound that, that follows the bells that I, I started to think about. And again, it's chronologically, that's what was going on, like the sound had, had faded. And so I was left with the memory of the sound of the church bells. And so that's what's in my mind as I'm playing with this. And I like this three line structure. I like the first line and I like the third line. It felt like you could really build a nice poem around that, but I wasn't really happy with that middle line. So the next couple drafts are kind of trial and error with that middle line, seeing if I can find something that's gonna anchor or really anchor this poem. And in draft four, uh, it's something very small where I went to Morning Breeze, the lingering tone of church bells. So I dropped the S on tone, making the, that word a stronger sound, a harder, a harder word to end on a line. And, and I liked it. And, and we'll come back to the sound of that word in a bit. But um, another thing I want to point out here is that as I'm writing all of these by hand, instead of just scratching out the word S, I actually rewrite the entire poem again beneath it. So I, 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 And it's important to me to actually feel the entire poem come out of me again. And I really appreciate and, and like the feeling of it, writing it by hand because I'm forced to not only see the letters, to see the words, to see the lines, but I also feel them. Your body feels, feels the length of each line. It feels the hardness of each word. And it's just another way to connect like a mind-body connection to the work uh, that I don't get if my hands are all spread across the keyboard, uh, doing many things at one time. In this case, it's a focused single line that I'm scratching on a page. And in this case, again, instead of scratching out the S, I rewrote the whole thing again. And I'm still not happy with this one. So we go to draft five, which goes morning breeze, the fading tone of church bells. So I kept tone and changed lingering to fading, which is okay, but it's still not quite solid enough for, uh, for what I, I think this poem needs to be so draft 6 uh, i changed the middle line again to rippling waves and in this point i started to really think about what like how i encounter the sound and so i started googling sound waves and started reading a bunch of like scientific things on that and and thought well sound waves rippling waves and thought that yeah that's kind of poetic sounding that's kind of nice and it is it's a nice kind of sounding line but it's more of a free verse kind of a line rather than a haiku kind of line. Because rippling sound waves like, what is that really? Um, And so it's a little bit too, it's a little bit too free verse and not enough haiku. I abandoned that for the next version. Morning breeze, the subtle drone of church bells. And again, that sound of tone is now back with the word drone. And sometimes I really get hooked on the sounds of words. And and sometimes the sound of a word in a line uh, can completely change the poem because I, I like the way the sound of the poem works. And sometimes I'll f- try to sort of dig and, and find a word with that sound that will fit the piece. And I like, I like drones. I like drones and music uh, a lot, but it didn't quite work here. But I had to give it a try. So we go to draft eight, which is Morning Breeze. The once again of church bells and at this point i've been working on this poem for about for an hour long enough that i started to hear the church bells happening again <laughs> so it's now interrupted my, my editing process of this piece and so that's where this one came about and i actually like having gone back and putting together this this slide presentation i really like this piece and um and i'm considering submitting it around separate as its own entity but but the thing that i it didn't capture what I was thinking about in the moment for this poem, so it wasn't the the idea of, of coming back to the sound wasn't the moment that started this poem off this poet's poem's journey off, which was there was the the bells weren't there, then they were there, then they weren't there again, so in this case it's just the reminder that the bells have come back, so it becomes a poem about time rather than about an interruption of of your, your space and so that's what led me to continue to working on this one and the next draft breaks the form entirely from a three-line poem to a two-line poem and that's because I read a I came across a two-line poem in the book I was reading and thought hmm, maybe I'll try that maybe I'll, I'll try to figure this out and in order to do a two-line poem I needed to get rid of a get rid of some stuff because you don't want a two two-liners can't be overly wordy and so I dropped the first line, the morning breeze, altogether and changed up everything except I kept church bells. And it became this more silence and sound, church bells. And I feel like I was getting really close. I really, really, really liked everything about this piece, but I wasn't quite happy with the, the structure. I like that when you read the, li- the first line, more silence and sound. Then you drop to the second line, church bells. So there's a natural break, a natural tendency to, to, to put space between the two of them. But it wasn't quite right. And maybe it's because church bells is just too short of a line to be the second line of a two line poem. And it didn't look right on the page. I don't know. Uh, but I kept, so I put the book down, I put the sketchbook down, kept reading, and then came across one liners and thought I'd give them a try. And so this next draft, draft number 10. We go to more silent than sound church bells, and this is actually a double edit because I didn't just take the take the two line poem and make it a one line poem. I also changed silence to silence to give it a hard T sound, thinking that it would resonate with the D and sound and the better and more silent than sound it does it does hit off the D and sound a lot more, but I still, I w- I'm not happy with that, because uh, I, th- I felt it lost something, and so I, I go back to draft number 11, which took the two-liner and made it the one-liner, and now we have more silence and sound church bells, and yes, now we have two S's in silence, one in sound, and then you end on S, so you have all this this resonating S's, which I liked a lot, and this is the draft that I ended up Keeping, and what I like about this poem is that the, it's just—I it, mean—it uses, I, I would say, the three le- three S's of of uh, haiku language that that I think of. That one is s- simple, one is succinct, and then the third S is suggestive. And this one has lots of suggestive language in it. Just pairing the word silence and church in the same line uh, has a whole lot of resonance to me. That can take—I mean, I, I sit with this poem not only seeing what happens, like you can see the, it as it is a moment that happens in real time, but there's a lot of language in it that allows me to kind of sit with it and go places with it. And that's when I know I'm really, really onto something. And I am happy to say that this one did get picked up. It will be in the next issue, uh, the summer issue of uh, Whale's Haiku Journal. So I'm happy that it found a home and that led me to believe, yes, okay. Uh, my editing choice was well, was, was well-served <laughs> and that, that goes through the, the drafts here. So I understand you had some questions about some of these.
0: I did, because I didn't get a chance to necessarily ask them last time. Sure. I want to go back, mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to draft number two, which was the, the strike and the resonance of yep. Churchill's. Yeah. Now, I, that's one of my favorites of all the drafts. Uh huh. But people who who send me submissions will, will know that I'm really hard on articles. It, it bugs me when there's sort of a repetition of an of an article. So the the, the would normally be a no f- from me. What I liked best of when I was reading it was if I took out the and, because that's another word I hate seeing. I don't hate it, but mm-hmm. if I if I've written something with and in it, it makes me go back and, and take another look and think, can I get rid of that? Because it's just a word that bugs me if it's there if there's no particularly good reason so when I read it back to myself the strike, the resonance of church bells, I just felt that taking the and out gave the the strike, more feeling. Hmm. Do you see what I mean? So the hardness of the strike comes through if you take the and out. So as I say, that was my favourite. And then the you, wrote a lot with the morning breeze. So line one, morning breeze. Line three of the church bells but the church bells were in the line, line three and then suddenly i think it's in draft nine you mm-hmm. you take out morning breeze it's gone that was your first change that became that was a two-liner right and i felt really cheated at that, at that <laughs> you know i was going with i was really enjoying this morning breeze with the the change of the lines of, of the second line mm-hmm. and i could see a pattern there and i could it was really making sense to me that you were rewriting the whole thing and in my head anyway you were seeing that pattern and morning breeze and the church bells were really part of this thing and we were going we were going for it <laughs> and then you took it out and it became what does it become in um, draft silent- nine oh or it- it's
1: draft nine it becomes almost the complete poem it's just uh, yeah it's, a- it's two lines rather than one
0: yeah that's right so uh, and my morning breeze is gone my church bells are still there but yeah there you are and I got to thinking about that after well first of all, can you just remind me why you decided to to veto the the morning breeze?
1: yeah, and I'll tell you something else too as I was mm-hmm. putting together my talk for Haiku society of america mm-hmm. I and trying to I did a big editing process to figure out which poem do I want to show the editing mm-hmm. process of because yep. some of them have some of the journeys aren't as dramatic as this one, or as clear, or as easy to follow. This one has a lot of twists and turns in it, and just as you said, it went through a pretty standard template for about I don't know several drafts before it completely changed. Yeah. And um, and the reason being is I just couldn't find a real way I think to make the poem work with the morning breeze in it. I didn't know that until I had several drafts and and the final form kind of hit me and, and that's the thing about drafts is is that I know I mean I never go into a writing session knowing what I'm going to write so it's always a surprise to what comes out and then I'll get a scent of something and I just have to chase it and I have yeah. to try every possibility that I can think of and sometimes it can be 30 40 more or more drafts of, of slight tweaks here and there before I get something that that I like and sometimes they go through complete transformations like like this happened because the the final poem the initial poem and the final poem look very different and if you look at how i got to them i was like writing a completely different poem in the middle <laughs> yeah, yeah you know different structure different everything um uh, but it, it's just i just threw it out because it just wasn't working with what i, I w- with where the poem was leading me and that's the other thing too is, is i think and i'm sure all writers know this once once the poem starts to, to because you get an idea or something happens, but once the poem starts to talk to you and tell you where it needs to go, you kind of have to listen to what that voice is telling you and try to find a way to to kind of let it speak. And in this case, uh, I put that, that morning breeze in there simply because it was happening in my surroundings, but it turned out it didn't have anything to do with what the moment was. And so it was my my attempt to try to h- wrangle this this poem together uh, that uh, eventually it got thrown out because it's it wasn't needed.
0: Yeah, I, that's sort of how I came to, the, this is how I, I forgave you in the end. I sort of, uh, <laughs> I read through, I thought, you know, the pattern was important at one stage, mm-hmm. but it, actually the, the essence of what you were trying to say wasn't there in the pattern as it's right. you know, so it, it had to go mm-hmm. more important to get to the, the crux of, of what you were trying to say. Right.
1: However, I came really close in my in my mind, in um, in this draft, and in this this was. It, and it's funny. It's the last version of this form before I broke it. I really do like this poem. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, it will find a home somewhere. Uh, but at the time, you know, it, I, it wasn't it wasn't the thing that I was I was uh, pulling on. So it actually makes me wonder if I would go back through my sketchbooks and look at some of these other poetry journeys to see if there are other poems hidden in there that, that could go somewhere. But that's an exercise that I'll probably go through if I hit a real dry spell in my writing. But fortunately, I haven't had that in a while. <laughs>
0: no, that's good. But I was really pleased that you you said that you came back to this one, and and you're going to work, you're going to put this out for submission and and see, see what happens. So it'll be interesting to see who picks it up, because I'm sure it will. Well, we will see.
1: That's it. It's always a crapshoot when you submit things because the, the other poem, the, the winner draft here, uh, was passed over a couple times before it got picked up. Yeah, so
0: okay.
1: The, that's the thing. Like I, if there are poems that I believe in, that I'll keep submitting them around until they find a home. And if they don't, then I have to revisit them again and figure out why aren't they working. And sometimes there's just one little word or some little edit that I didn't see before that once I make that change, it makes all the difference. So uh, rejections are another key to... To the editing process
0: for me, no they are I think that's that's something else I've said on the podcast before that take rejection as a positive thing mm-hmm. if you can you know you know it's an opportunity to reevaluate what you've written, maybe but, but as you say, it's also a bit of a crapshoot that you um <laughs> you just one editor will like it and another won't, so mm-hmm. you know just if you believe in it, stick with it and keep keep going that's right so so that was that I think really, given the time we've spent, I'd just like to say. Thank you very much for for an illuminating talk. It's more or less the second time that I've heard it. It Still works brilliantly for me. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure, my (laughs) pleasure. (laughs) Um, But this might be a good time just to tell us, because I know you've got a new book, One Breath. Tell us a little bit about that and where we can get hold of that. And of course, it will be all the details will be in the show notes for people if they want to follow up afterwards.
1: Sure. Uh, One Breath is a new collection of haiku and of mine from Spartan Press out of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, you can order it's available virtually at any any place you can buy online books. I've been able to find it in the catalog. Uh, but Amazon is a common place around the globe. Everyone. People might have gift cards or a, a Amazon Prime membership or something. You can get it there and and that's that when i'm looking to publish with with a with a publisher that's one of the things that i look at is are their books available outside of their own website and i tend fortunately to have had luck with my first two full collections to work with publishers that you can get them everywhere so one breath is available online that's easy should be easy to find and you don't have to contact the poet or the publisher to get it um, it is 150 pieces uh, all but one of them have been previously published in other places so if you know my work, you, you might rec- recognize a piece or two, but I publish in a lot of different places, so it's nice to kind of pull things together and give uh, people a chance to see a collection. It's my second full-length book. I'm really happy with it. It came together fairly well, as far as book stories go. It, it came together fairly quickly as well. I was at a poetry reading here in St. Louis uh, that the publisher was putting out because uh, they promote a lot of pe- regional poets. Some many of which I knew, and so I went there to the reading, and it was great, and I just started a conversation with the, the main uh, editor afterwards, and they've never done anything with haiku and senru. and so I'm always a big fan of trying to to introduce people to this in, in, in poetry circles that don't know the good stuff, if you know what I mean, and so he thought it might be interesting, and said, send me a manuscript, and here we are. We went through a couple rounds of, of, of edits, and but yeah, here we are, it's really exciting. And the book cover uh, contains the, the, these bells that I read with all the time, which are kind of cool. So if you, uh, it's, it's a little hidden Easter egg in what that means on the cover.
0: Thanks, Ben, thank you very mm-hmm. much. That was great. Uh, thank you once again for coming along and, and talking to us, talking us through the, the slides, just superb, thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ben. I found it quite inspirational and my mind has been buzzing with new haiku ever since I heard his talk at the Haiku Society of America. Don't forget to check the show notes where you can find details about his books. Now, for our orange creams, the renku. Quite appropriate because this renku is very loosely based around food. I decided to try something a little bit different. If you read renku in other journals, They're generally put together by a few people, and so this time I've limited the number of participants just to see what difference it makes, if any. So this time my thanks must go to James Young, Gideon Nielsen-Sweep, Ian Speed, and Michael Barrabo for all the work they're putting into it. You can see who wrote each verse by going to the show notes. But here it is so far. Winter Bites, In my rice bowl, only tears. Scratching the snow, a squirrel's hoard. Found food functions better than exotic recipes and fancy dining. No feet of clay for this plodding housewife. Flower moon, a coolness creeps into the harrowed soil. Slaked limestone, life's bitter sweetness. My kiln belly, anticipating the crop, I plough on. Hunger for bitterness leaves, upturned earth, unsweetened. Kissed by summer, asleep in the bee meadows, a trout stream. In the frying pan, hibiscus flowers float. Color tour, a thermos for tea, to warm our hands. I hope you're enjoying the Renku, and once we're finished writing it, perhaps you can feed back to us whether working with just a few poets makes a difference. There'll be more from this Renku next month. And lastly, our chocolate truffle, Roger Watson, who's going to read some of his work to us. And you can read them again yourself in the show notes. Welcome back, Roger.
2: Hello, I'm Roger Watson, and I'm... From Kingston upon Hull in the northeast of England. And I'd like to thank Patricia for the opportunity to read some haiku and to talk about them. I guess, like everybody, my world's become quite small in the last few months due to the coronavirus pandemic. In more ways than one, I'm used to doing lots of international travel. I'm also used to being away from my home a lot, even within the UK. But lately, most of my time's been spent in my garden. And looking over the haiku that I've written in the last few weeks, most of them reflect that. I've really had no other place to see nature and to experience things. And I'm going to share three of those with you now. I notice that when I'm sitting out in the evenings that the the amorous life, to put it mildly, of pigeons is quite fascinating. Watching them... Jumping about from tree to tree, the male pigeons chasing the females. They look identical, but you can soon tell which one is which from the behaviour. And one haiku that came to me while I was watching them fluttering about was the following. Two pigeons on the narrow branches, the Mile High Club. I don't think I need to explain to people what the uh, Mile High Club is. Early in the period when the coronavirus pandemic lockdown took place in the UK the cherry blossom was still out and we have a cherry tree which overhangs our garden and I also have a fish pond. So this came to me when I was looking at the cherry blossom falling down in the wind. Sakura blossom on the koi pond two legends meet. Sakura blossom features a lot in Japanese poetry and symbolizes many things, as do koi fish, which live for a long time. Sakura blossom tend to represent transience. Koi fish tend to represent longevity. So in a sense, that's how the two legends are meeting on the surface of my pond. Then finally, my neighbor asked us not to cut back the ivy because there was a a wren's nest in the ivy. I said I thought I'd seen the wren because I'd seen it picking up worms on our uh, on our lawn and uh, my neighbour thought that they didn't actually do that. She said I probably saw a blackbird. So anyway, in the ivy, the wren I never see.
0: Many, many thanks, Roger, for taking the time to put together another wonderful reading for us. I'm pretty sure it won't be the last time we hear from you. Don't forget, if you enjoy Roger's work, you can read more in his recent book, Dewdrops, in which he and Su Lai share their work, and you'll find details, of course, in the show notes. Next month, I'm happy to say that Ben Gall will be back to give us a reading from his new book, One Breath. I'm looking forward to that already. Well... I'm afraid that's it for this week. I hope you too found a chocolate box full of treats. In a couple of weeks, I'll be bringing you a podcast filled with your work on the topic of joy. It's a cracking episode and lots of new poets will be joining us. So for now though, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for all the feedback you send me in between episodes and a special thank you to Ben and Roger for joining us on the podcast today. Our next topic is loss. So until we meet again, keep writing. Please go to the show notes and have a look at all the information from today's podcast. If there's anything missing or you would like some more information, just send me an email and I'll do my best to help you out. Ciao.